Did you ever wish your toys could come to life, but not in a cutesy Pixar way? What would their toy story be? Does the imagined life of plastic figures become their history when they become flesh and blood in our world? What are the ethics involved in caring for a three-inch-tall time traveler? Come with us as we explore a tale where special keys and special cupboards allow two young boys to reinforce negative stereotypes of Native American culture for an entire generation. The problematic yet compelling read this week is Indian in the Cupboard on Reliterated, the podcast that's one book short of a free personal pan pizza. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of three grown-ass men reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020's hindsight. Fair warning, we use language that's too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. You can interact with us and enjoy all kinds of bonus content by searching Reliterated on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, and now Facebook, or you can ask us questions, suggest future episodes, or tell us what we've missed by sending us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. Make it a good question, and we'll answer it on the show. My name's Andy, and with me are my co-hosts... Harold. And Josh. And today's introductory question is, which childhood figure would you bring to life if you could? For me, I had this G.I. Joe that came with a boat, and I remember... I lived in this house with these stucco walls, and I would use it like it was climbing up a mountain because it went up the stairway and everything. He was one of my favorites. His name was Cutter, and he had the Shark 9000 boat. Mm. I feel like he may have been dangerous because he was a G.I. Joe, but I still would have liked to bring him to life. I mean, worst case scenario, I could have stepped on him. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked him up. I binged an image of uh, the boat and the and Cutter, and he's got a pretty cool-looking life preserver there. He sure does. I always imagined it as a like ballistics vest, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, G.I. Joe, you got to protect yourself. Right. Both from drowning and from stray laser blasts from Cobra. It's, it's a floaty ballistics vest. <laughs> Josh, who would you have brought to life? Well, I had a Mr. T figurine that I absolutely just loved. I actually have a picture of me holding Mr. T. And so I would probably bring him to life because uh, I pity the fool who doesn't want to bring Mr. T to life <laughs> because, come on now, it's Mr. T. He's awesome. I mean, oh, yeah. Mr. T. Mr. T. I used to have a, I actually had a record, a Mr. T record. <laughs> <laughs> but, a uh, Mr. T record. <laughs> what did, yeah. What kind of stuff did he do on this album? Uh, it was mainly motivational, like, you know, kids don't do drugs, stay off the streets. Uh. Uh, don't be in a gang. Uh, <laughs> spoken you know, word album. Spoken word type of album, but you know how Mr. T talks, so it's like, ooh, I pity the fool, does drugs, and doesn't, uh, takes vitamins, and I think that he was probably part of the same whole like Hulk Hogan type spiel with the uh, say your prayers, eat your vitamins. <laughs> right. Drink your milk, thing. eat your vitamins, hug your mom. Yeah. yeah. You know. And, and the thing is, is Mr. T, I know this isn't a Mr. T podcast, but I actually had a Mr. T comic book as well. I don't know if you ever saw the comic book of his, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But there is a story about Mr. T where when he was in the army, they, as a punishment, he was sent out and told to chop down these trees and no one told him to stop. 
and he ended up chopping down some huge area of trees and then finally a commanding officer rode by and was like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> like they told me to chop these trees down and he's like Holy yeah shit. it's done <laughs> i just binged the mr t comic books and it's a 1993 series called mr t and the t force yep i had a couple of those Oh, man, they look dope as hell. I being the record, and it was Mr. T, be somebody or be somebody's fool. It turns <laughs> out there was also a VHS that went along with it. Oh, so, yeah. So, yeah, and I, yeah, it was bas- yeah, a motivational, motivational uh, video <laughs> and Sweet. record. So, yeah. Uh, I just binged Mr. T's 1987 Lake Forest Chainsaw Massacre, they call it, because he chopped <laughs> so many trees down, they called it a massacre. Wow. Yeah. That sounds That's like something that should go on our subreddit. <laughs> right? So link to that, because I want to see that, too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I suppose if there was a toy that I could have brought to life, um, it would have been this, like, this Quasimodo kind of kind of toy that they had from Burger King where you like stick your hand in you could like work the arms or whatever but I don't know I always kind of related to to Quasimodo I had a kind of a kinship with him it's kind of like the the not very good looking loner who doesn't get the girl in the end I figured that he and I could just commiserate in our misery because I was a pretty miserable kid so yeah on that down note yeah geez. <laughs> yeah thanks Debbie <laughs> wah, wah. Wah, wah. but it's my realistic answer if I went up back when I was a kid that's who I would have brought to life if I could have brought someone to life it would have been a figure of a dead character <laughs> <laughs> and would have been a figure who was depressed yeah. like me so I could <laughs> we could be depressed together yep just me Quasimodo and Eeyore, best friends forever. <laughs> then you start listening to The Cure and hanging out at Denny's and drinking coffee, Ugh. smoking like cigarettes. The cure. Oh, The Cure is awful. <laughs> Wearing a lot There's of black. Nothing wrong with hanging out at Denny's, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Wearing black. That's what we did for like three years in our 20s, Josh. The only thing I object to that is listening to The Cure. Yeah, no. No one should listen to that. <laughs> But what you should listen to, dear listener, is our discussion on The Indian in the Cupboard by Lynn Reed Banks. This was published in 1980. And it is easy to tell that it's from that time uh, with a lot of language they use in it about Native Americans and and the things that they did. Uh, Lynn Reed Banks is actually from Britain. She did move to Canada for a short time during World War II and eventually was in Britain again and in Israel for a time. She taught English at an Israeli kibbutz, which is like a like a Jewish commune. And I don't know if, um, if that means that she was Jewish uh, by heritage or whatnot, but uh, she did a- end up marrying... A, a Jewish guy named Chaim Stevenson. And she wrote a pretty good number of books. She wrote some children's books, and she also wrote books for older readers, too. It wasn't all just uh, Indians and in cupboards for Lynn Reed Banks. <laughs> There's a uh, three-book series on Harry the Poisonous Centipede. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued and at the same time baffled because I 
like first off centipedes suck <laughs> three three books how about three the centipede <laughs> three books she must have a lot of that what's it called josh in a book where they have a beginning and an end and then in between there's a bunch of uh Oh, man. You guys What's told me word? not to say that word anymore, so I'm not going to say it. Exposition. Uh, We're looking for filler. <laughs> things that happen. Yeah, the things that I've happen. been banned from saying it, so I'm not going to say it anymore. Character development. <laughs> That's the development nope. of my character. I'm not allowed to say that word anymore. <laughs> well, The uh, Indian in the Cupboard is the first in a five book series, actually. I and only read three of them. You only read three of them? I think I've only, like, back in the day, I only read this first one. I don't recall reading how the story continues. I definitely remember reading the first and second one. I think I read the third one, but then I fell off at that point. We discovered that the fourth and fifth one came out when we would have been well into high school. So mm-hmm. not exactly entertaining to us anymore. Uh, the... Uh... Mystery of the Cupboard, book four, was published in 93, and then The Key to the Indian, the finale to the series, was published in 1998. Okay, so yeah, so, it was yeah. the last one. We the weren't last one. quite so in high read, school yet. Maybe I read maybe I read four of them then, because I know I didn't read the last one. I know that the, the last one I read, uh, they were no longer using the cupboard. Uh, they had started using a chest, and they were able to send themselves other places. By locking themselves in this chest, which, you know, that's a great idea for kids. Hey, (laughs) why don't we tell these kids to lock themselves in a chest? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I read a a little bit of how the whole series uh, arcs and they get some pretty uh, weird things happening. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of wild stuff happens, but we're going to focus on the first book and maybe read on. As the podcast gets older, absolutely. This would this would probably do well into the sequel series at some point, or some sequel series that we do eventually. Mm-hmm. We have a uh, we have tentative plans to devote a whole chapter of the podcast to sequels from books that we've already covered. So we all have that to look forward to. And we know you're looking forward to it. Be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. I know I am. I want to see how these stories continue. As do I. As do I. <laughs> so this book actually focuses on a kid with a strange name. Um I pronounce it Omri. That is that is the correct pronunciation according to the movie. Okay, okay. according to the so, movie. Okay. How else would it be pronounced like Omri? I I've thought you know I've seen people change the way something's pronounced. I I've heard someone say Wino instead of Wino. So. You guys, I am the king of mispronouncing. <laughs> yeah, and Josh mispronounces words all Amory. the time. So, Amory, um, you added be- an E. Amory. Yep. <laughs> added letters. You got to break a few eggs to make an Amory. Yeah. Amri. <laughs> Amri and his brothers all have very non-normal names. You don't see these names quite often. Is Amri and his brothers a deal? Or Adiel, Adiel and Gillen. Yeah, they are strange names, all three I, of them. I looked up these names, both Omri and, who I don't know how it's properly pronounced. It's A-D-I-E-L. I, Adiel? Yeah, Adiel or maybe Adiel. Yeah. Like I, when I was reading the book aloud to myself, I would kind of flip-flop between those two. But both Omri and Adiel are of Hebrew origin. 
And okay. Gillen is of Irish slash Gaelic origin. Gillen, G-I-L-L-O-N. What I did while I was reading him is just named him Matt, John, and Jim. That made it easier for me. <laughs> what, whatever makes you more comfortable. You can change other people's names at will. <laughs> Don't bother learning them. Just call them what you want. That's how things go, right? Just do whatever you want. <laughs> so it, as this starts out... uh Omri is having a birthday and his friend is, I would say he's his best friend from the fact that we don't meet any other friends of Omri's in this. Right. Uh, gives him a small plastic figure and these kids have, both of them have a bunch of plastic figures. Most of them are army guys, uh, stuff like that. But this figure is different than everything else in his set. And it's a small plastic Indian or a Native American, and yeah. it really doesn't fit with anything he has, and he doesn't like it, but he doesn't let that out to Patrick because he doesn't want to make him feel bad. And I found it funny, too, because as they're going through and they're talking about him, you know, he got this toy and they all play with it. And he even says, yes, it's fantastic, but it was in a flattish voice. And uh, they mentioned that they don't have any cowboys to go with it, so no cowboys and Indians. And then his brother gets him a strange gift, which was a medicine cupboard from an alleyway. <laughs> and he actually really likes that because Omri's way into cupboards, apparently. <laughs> Who knew he has a cupboard fetish? Yeah, yeah, very strange. I would have been, I would have been pretty, uh, I would have liked getting a cupboard, like, uh, to put stuff in. It helps organize things, you guys. What's, what's wrong with getting a cupboard? That would be friggin' awesome. For opinion. your birthday? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> a cupboard feels like it is in the clothes category to me. <laughs> For right. birthday presents. Or <laughs> like, uh, dining wear organization. Right. <laughs> It definitely isn't like exciting birthday present fair. That's for sure. Yeah, I w I wouldn't be like super excited about it, but I wouldn't be like upset. I'd be like, oh, cool, and, you know, I can store things in here. That's great. Plus, there's the lock. I guess if he was like uh, an enthusiast at collecting like action figures or something and wanted a place to display them, like maybe a cabinet with a glass door or something. Maybe he's just a wannabe hoarder, and this is how he's starting. You never know. <laughs> it could be. Could be. But he notices it has a keyhole in it, and he's upset because he doesn't have a key to lock it with. But his mom is like, hey, I've got this whole box full of keys. So they start going through the keys, and most of them are too big. Some of them are too small. He finds about six of them that are the right size. And he keeps trying through them, and there's one specific key he doesn't try right away, and it has a yellow or a red ribbon tied to it. And he waits to try that one last. And when he uses that one, it works. It locks the cabinet. Cupboard. Got to be very specific here. It's a cupboard. <laughs> it is not a cabinet. It is a <laughs> it's cupboard. A cupboard. <laughs> so he's like, oh, cool. You know, it works. And he he ends up. They all have uh, they all have their birthday cake, and they go through all the uh, all the goodness of having a birthday. And uh, he ends up taking it into his room, and he thinks, "Oh, this is perfect. I can lock this Indian toy that I don't like inside the cupboard, and I won't be I won't have to play with it. It'll be locked in there." We missed an important detail about this key. It was the key to his oh. mother's grandmother's jewel box. That's from right. 
That's right. It went to his grandmother's jewel box, and it was the only thing his grandmother had to give to his mother when she passed. So it's a precious heirloom key. It, it was it was to a jewel box, but it was the only thing that she had to give. Sorry, I hawked all my jewels, dear. Here's the key to the old box. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) You know, I had quite the jewel collection in my youth. I kept it all in a box. Here, you can have the key that locked it. Dream of what were. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not using it anymore. What about the jewels? Oh, those. I threw those off the side of a boat for a man (laughs) that I loved once. (laughs) But don't lose that key. It brought my jewels to life. Oh, God, she's going through it again. Get the doctor. (laughs) That reminds me of my grandma. Hey, I'm not using this key anymore. Do you want it? No. (laughs) You got any use for this old key to a jewelry box I don't have anymore? That's exactly what I want. Please, please give me the key. You want some expired medication? (laughs) Do you have any candy wrappers, Grandma? <laughs> I could sure use some candy wrappers. But he does uh, He does take it up and put his cupboard in the bedroom, and he puts the Indian in the cupboard, and he locks it up and lays down on, on his bed, and he hears a noise pretty quickly after he locks the door. But he thinks, no, that must have been in my head. And when he wakes up in the morning, and Omri tends to wake up earlier than everybody else in the house, He wakes up in the morning, he was sure that there was noise coming from the cupboard. So he laid there trying to listen, trying to hear what was going on. And it sounds like like a pattering and something scrabbling around, moving around. And then he heard something high-pitched, like a tiny voice. And so he ends up walking over to the cupboard. And he stands there and he's listening. And finally he unlocks it and opens it up. And his little toy Indian is gone. And at this point, he noticed that it is crouching in the corner of the cupboard, which doesn't make a lot of sense because it was a solid plastic figure. Now, do you guys imagine these figures are non-mobile? Like I was talking about a G.I. Joe that would have had articulating limbs right Mm -hmm. the way they seem to describe these plastic figures are that they're just like solid plastic right like you would have your uh plastic toy soldiers just little molded guys that didn't move or articulate or anything yeah that's how i i was thinking of them as is something like that or if they were even because i had little farm animals they weren't that were plastic like that, but um, still had more to them because like the army guys were just all green, whereas like I had sheep and cows and they were I actually had more to them because they were painted the correct colors. Right. And I don't think that these are necessarily as small as just green army guys. I think that these it's sound, from the description they give. It looks like they're more detailed than that. Even the army guys are more detailed with like faces painted on them and colors to their clothing and everything. I want to believe at some point it said that they were three inches tall, but I can't swear to that. Right. So I'm pretty sure it was three inches tall. So I'm thinking that these are a little bit more detailed than just small plastic army dudes with no real details on them, but not quite as detailed to be cool toys like G.I. Joe's Mm -hmm. or anything that any kid would actually want to play with. So he he does notice, though, that this uh, the little Native American he's got in here is 
definitely alive. The description that they give for him is pretty, pretty solidly stereotypical. Um, he's got a, a feather sticking out of his headband. Uh, he he's, you know, shirtless, just sitting over in the corner and he, he sees him as he's trembling and everything. Then when he starts to move, the Indian reaches down, grabs a knife out. And finally, when uh, when Omri goes to like reach in towards him, he ends up stabbing him in the in the hand. Well, if a giant figure went after you, wouldn't you stab it with the one weapon that you had? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely would. I I, I would not want to be screwing around with that, you know. I mean, but this is pretty brave of this little dude. He, uh, he like, leaps through the air to stab him with the knife. <laughs> He's like, uh, I'm going to take this thing out. <laughs> Omri does start speaking to him. He lets him know I won't hurt you and that he just wants to pick him up. Then he asks if he speaks English. And uh, the... Little guy says, I speak. Well, he grunted that. I speak. And uh, Omri's happy to hear that. And he starts trying to talk to him. And he's talking too quickly. And then uh, the the Indian says, you know, I speak slowly. And at this point, Omri becomes, uh, what would the word I'd be looking for here? <laughs> Let me pick you up. <laughs> like, like, geez, dude. Over deliberate, over yeah, yeah, overly yeah. simple. Overly simple. And, uh, you know, he answers back with, you touch, I kill, you know. And uh, he pulled up the little knife and Omri didn't laugh at him because he was like, eh, you know, I expect he should be feeling this way. And I don't want to tease him because, you know, he doesn't have a choice to be this small. I'm the one who did this. But Amri is very possessive. He, he wants is. to he wants to pick him up. He's like because he's he's thinks of him as my Indian. It's yes. his Indian. So he doesn't think of him as a person. He thinks of him as his toy. Mm-hmm. For now, anyways. For now, yeah. It it kind of evolves, but yeah. He was trying to look for his magnifying glass at this point too, because he was noticing all these intricate details of uh, his former toys clothing and his hair and uh, just all the little details that are clearly now it's a living a living thing not a plastic toy anymore which there's no way to make these real things so small he asked him if he was always that small and he replies with uh, I'm not small you you're big well I not small <laughs> you big <laughs> Very stereotypical of the time. All, all very stereotypical. Again, this was written in 80. And, you know, the movies that were coming out at that time. I mean, I remember yeah. playing Cowboys and Indians when I was a kid. It was still in mm-hmm. vogue at the time. At some point, we're going to have to have the talk about the stereotype of uh, of Indian that we're dealing with here. Right, right. And there's no getting around it. Uh, this character is based off of a lot of stereotypes about Native Americans. Oh, right. All kind of rolled in on top of each other. So do we have that conversation now? or <laughs> Because there's a lot to unpack there. There is. I mean, I'm just trying. I'm wanting to get to the name of, of, of him so that we could stop saying Indian. I mean, that's how I feel at this point. I'm like, yeah. every time I come to Indian, I'm trying to find a different way to say it. Uh, so, but, but, but I mean, the author calls him an Indian all the way through to the last book. All, like, all the way through. There is no like 
no political correctness, no sensitivity about it. No, it's never Native American. We can just call him Little Bear. He's his name is Little Bear. Yes, we'll get that out of the way Bear. right now, yes. so that we have that out of the way. Um, but yeah, they they definitely play on a lot of stereotypes. They they go on to talk about him scalping, and he's all proud of how many scalps he's taken, and he wants to hunt and do all these different things that would be you know oh this is all they would want to do you know he talks about fighting in wars with the with with the english he fights on the side of the english in the against the french yep who have allied with uh, their enemy tribe i think the algonquins the Algonquins, yep. Because he is part of the Iroquois, which was actually the name that was given to them by the English. French. By the French. I've, I've read that it was by the English. The Iroquois. Well, so. Yeah, I don't I get it either. The, I don't know why I read French. I read that the English Iroquois. when it was Iroquois. a French word. Yeah, <laughs> it's a French word. So I was like, because I read it, I was like, I thought the French gave them that name. I mean, it it does look like a French word, and I'm sure like the the English would have pronounced it Iroquois. Actually, in the Wikipedia entry, it's pronounced either way, Iroquois or Iroquois. But the uh, the name for the the tribe that, or the uh, the group of tribes that they had for themselves, Josh. I know you've been wanting to say this. Yes, because I I found out how to pronounce it Haudenosaunee. Nope. Close. Nope. Close. <laughs> yep. See, I knew I was going to fuck it up because I, I did it so many times before so that I have it perfectly. And then I mess it up because I'm bad at pronunciations. <laughs> Isn't it the. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Haudenosaunee. 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 Acetacellicilic acid. Acetacellicilic Haudenosaunee. But that is the proper name. That is what they, the descendants of the tribe prefer to be called now. Not Iroquois and definitely not Indian, like it says over and over in the book. (laughs) Right. (laughs) To the point where it made me uncomfortable. Right. (laughs) As if that was their preferred term. This is coming from a British woman in the, uh, well, writing it in the late 1970s to be published in 1980. I was going to bring up the fact that in the in the 80s, like in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, that term was being taken back by them. They were trying to take that as their term. If you go to Alcatraz, mm. it says Indians welcome. That is what is painted on the wall cuz they took over Alcatraz Island for several years um, as a form of protest. So a group of uh, Native Americans tried to reappropriate the term Correct. Indian yeah, for at, themselves? At that, okay. So I believe at that time that it was an okay term. But since then, because it's been many years, obviously, <laughs> it, is no longer in, it is no longer okay to say the, that word right. for, that, for that group of people. Which I'm right. totally fine with because there is a country named India and people yes. who are from there are Indians. Correct. And this is how the term for Native Americans came about because the English thought that they had discovered India. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because they... Yeah, this, or, or discovered Spain. a route to India. Yeah, I thought it was the Spanish. It was oh, Columbus was a Spanish, but there were multiple Columbus was, ex- explorers that Columbus, I believe, was Italian who sailed for Spain. Yeah, under the Spanish flag. No one wants Columbus. Okay, <laughs> nobody wants to. <laughs> 
Right. I don't but I don't think he was the first to land <laughs> in North America though. No, Amerigo Vespucci was. Amerigo Vespucci. I don't know. Yeah, cuz he uh Columbus just landed on islands basically in the Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's how it originated in calling them the East Indies. See, this is what you get when you come to Reliterated. You get a haphazard <laughs> history lesson of shit that you should look up yourself because we definitely don't know what we're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking out our asses with what various like history we learned from various places. Our vague recollection of what we learned about history. <laughs> and what I've learned on like TikTok videos and other podcasts that I learned history uh, from. Right. But I mean, it's pretty common knowledge that they're called Indians because they the yes. <laughs> they thought they were in India. Thought they, they, thought they were landing in India. India. Yeah, but it was not India. It was the North American continent is where they landed somewhere upon mm-hmm. it, whether that be south, north, or center. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they did terrible things to these indigenous peoples. But that's a conversation for oh, time. that's for another podcast to tackle, and they have that's for yeah, yes, other podcasts have tackled it. I do believe they talk about some of it in the Indian in the Cupboard series, though. I believe they they bring up some yeah, they, they go bring dark up genocide, not necessarily <laughs> genocide, but they definitely talk about why he has a distrust for Omri. You know what I mean, like. Mm. A mild distrust for him uh, in the beginning here, like right off the bat. Sure. Beyond the fact that he was, you know, a hundred times bigger than him. <laughs> right. There's a distrust. But then Little Bear does say that, uh, does recognize at some point that Omri is English. And he's like, oh, English, good. We fight mm-hmm. on the side of English yep. against the French and our enemies, the Algonquin. Which definitely works out for Omri. Now he had shut uh he had shut Little Bear back inside the cupboard at that point, and I believe he locked it back up. And so when he goes he, he is getting ready to leave school, Patrick is all, Hey, let's go skateboarding, yeah and he's like, I don't wanna go skateboarding <laughs> which throws Patrick off because he's like, All you wanted was a skateboard. You got a skateboard for your birthday. Now you don't want to go skateboarding? And he's like, Yeah, I want to go home and play with that Indian you gave me. And he's like, oh, You what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Not even the cupboard, which was yeah. so, which is your fetish, <laughs> as it turns out. You're screwing with my head, right? So when he goes back home, though, he unlocks the cupboard again, and there lays Little Bear, uh, solid plastic. And he's, you know, shit, maybe I imagined it, or did I kill him by doing that? And he's all freaking out. Now, I I wonder something, and I think that they, again, I think this is something they tackle in later books, but we haven't read the later books yet, and I haven't read Mm -hmm. them in years. So do you think that when they turn the key and make the plastic figure real, that wherever that person is in time, they become a gigantic (laughs) man-sized plastic figure? That's kind of what uh, what I imagine. Right. Like, if it's not they get pulled out of time and then put back in the exact same place in time and space, like, the duration in which they're in 1980 England, <laughs> they just turn into a uh, life-size mannequin right. of whoever it was. Yeah, I mean, because there's other people that he brings to life here and stuff. And I just it makes me wonder, you know, if they just become a giant plastic thing or if they get pulled out of that time. 
Do he, I, like you're I saying, thought that the, they just blinked out because the soldier, he talks about almost getting hit by a bomb. And I feel like if a plastic figure was there and got hit by a bomb, it would still explode. And so he would he wouldn't cease to be. So I feel For like sure. they're just they just they're just zapped out of their time right. and there's just nothing there. But do they stay out of that time for the duration or when he turns them back, do they just blink right into the exact millisecond that they blinked out? I feel like they zip back like time passes because like he would have got hit by the bomb. He goes back. Oh, the bomb went off, but he wasn't there. So he didn't die from it. No, no, no. That's the second time that he comes through. The first time that he comes through, it was just he was sleeping. The second time uh-huh. was when the bomb was going to land. There was a bomb about to land. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I looked it up further in the book series. Omri tries to bring him back and gets just his uniform. So, like, he died. But we don't okay. know if that's what killed him. I think that the suggestion is that's what killed him. Yeah. It's really weird how time passes because you're pulling it out, pulling the person out of some time in the past where, you know, time keeps passing, but you're still in 1980 or 1980 something, but you're pulling somebody out of 1600 something or like World War yeah, I they don't, era they don't really for the soldier. Ex- they don't really explain what happens on the right. other side. It's really hard to explain. He does figure out at this point that he can bring, bring he's figured out how to bring him back because he, he puts the key in again, locks it, brings it up, and Little Bear is alive again. And I thought this was kind of interesting that like almost right off the bat, uh, Little Bear is like insisting on things. He wants food. He wants something to drink. He wants bow and arrow. He wants something to hunt. Uh, and he wants a longhouse and I was like, you don't want to know why you're suddenly somewhere else. Like you, you're like, no <laughs> time to just start living my life the way right. I was living it. Give me my shit. So I could just, I'm a, you are you not impressed alone? by the things you see around here? All the advances right. in technology that have happened in this nope. few hundred years. He just needs to build a longhouse and ride a horse around and hunt some deer. That's all he cares about. And it, it just, what? (laughs) Which, again, that's something where it's almost like this is another problem. The suggestion is that because because Native Americans weren't as technologically advanced, per se, not I think it's less that they were technologically advanced as Europeans and more that their advancements were misunderstood by Europeans because they didn't need the same advancements Europeans needed. You know, Europeans were trying to sail across the ocean to conquer lands and Native Americans knew how to work their land and use it as they needed and create the weapons that they needed and the tools they needed. And I mean, out west, there are clear civilizations where they were cities that were built. Okay. So it wasn't like there wasn't an advancement or they didn't understand how to live or weren't just, you know, humans like everybody else. And he almost mm-hmm. acts in this book like, uh, there's no way I could possibly understand anything that's happening. You know, <laughs> he's just <laughs> oblivious to it. Like, nope, obviously uh, you're just way too far beyond me, spaceman. You know, <laughs> like... <laughs> Well, he does think of him as he calls him the great spirit at at certain right. points, thinking like, so if he's thinking of him as a god, he's not going to question him True. because he is this great spirit. 
But then he does realize he's like, no, you're not the great spirit. You're, you are just a child. At one point they get, he gets to that point and he realizes Mm -hmm. he's just, you know, he's just a kid. Big child, but child. Yeah. You're just some fucking kid. You're just a goddamn kid. You have no power over me. Squish. Okay, maybe you have a little power over me. <laughs> just a little bit of power. Just a little bit of power. <laughs> but yeah, he like begs for meat and he, you know, he gives him some meat and he wants to start a fire and Omri's like, that's probably not a good idea. You know? I really dislike the uh, the stereotype here where he, he asks for fire water. No, he didn't ask for fire no, he, water, did he? He didn't ask for fire yeah. water. Uh, Omri's looking for things to grab for him and and he's thinking... Mm, surely Indian Braves did not drink milk. They usually drank something called fire water in films, which was presumably a hot drink. And Omri dared not heat anything. <laughs> he's going off of what he's learned about Indians from movies. And all he's gleaned off of that is that they drink something called fire water, which he assumes is just a hot drink. No, I always understood hot fire water to be alcohol. Right. It whiskey. was. It yep. was whiskey. Yeah. Yep. Liquid that burned as it went down. Yeah. Later on down there, it says Coca-Cola, said Omri, enthusiastically pouring some for himself into a cup. Fire water? No, it's cold, but you'll like it. The Indian sipped, swallowed, <laughs> gulped, gulped again, grinned. Good? Asked Omri. Good, said the Indian. So yes, the Indian does ask for fire water because of the stereotype. Yep. Unfortunately. Oh, and he also calls Omri the Great White Spirit. So another great way hope. Hey guys, this seems to be a theme in our books. <laughs> the Great White Spirit. <laughs> but he does uh, shut off the light, and they go to bed after they have all this interaction uh, for the first night. There is a lot of stuff that that kind of happens where it's basically these things. You know, he's trying to trying to explain the world around Little Bear to him, and Little Bear is just kind of like, that's ah, magic. I I get it, you know? You're the great spirit. I'm just a guy that wants some fucking shit. Get it for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's funny, because at one hand, he's calling him the great spirit. On the other hand, he's super disrespectful and demanding to him. <laughs> oh, and he, uh, Omri... For that first night, uh, gets him set up with a little teepee, and Little Bear is kind of offended by the idea of a teepee, because the Haudenosaunee don't sleep in teepees. They slept in longhouses, which... Their name stands... The name stands for people of the longhouse. Yes. And so he that's what he wants. He wants to build a longhouse, which is, you know, I remember reading this book and for all its little problematic things, that was kind of a cool thing that I learned when I was a kid about um, about these people is that they didn't they didn't all live in teepees. They, you know, they actually had these houses that they built, which, again, speaks to my whole, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they can't possibly understand technology. Well, they understood how to build <laughs> shelters that were much right. more elaborate than than just four mm-hmm. sticks put together. <laughs> Made them big enough to be community spaces and have meetings in them and such. Right, right. And they would have fires inside of them, so they knew how to get the smoke. To- yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I, again, I think it's strange that we put this idea. Have For a long time, we've put this idea that they're just incapable of understanding. <laughs> we also learned that Little Bear is the son of a chief. Son of an Iro- he's an Iroquois brave, son of chief. You son of chief? 
he asks Omri, and gives him a superior look when Omri tells him that he's not. Omri asks him if uh, if he ever sleeps in teepees, and he says never. And Omri said he's never heard of an Indian who didn't. You're an Indian, you must sleep in a teepee. You know, I found it funny when he, he pulls out Action Man's sleeping roll, and he gives it to him, and uh, Little Bear says it's no good, it won't keep the wind out. And so then Omni, Omri just cuts a square off one of his sweaters, which is a pretty porous blank. You know, would make for a pretty porous blanket, I would think. Mm-hmm. And that one will keep the wood out. And I'm like, a sleeping roll seems like it would be more likely to keep wind out. Also, what wind? You're indoors. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but again, we're back to <laughs> he doesn't necessarily understand it. And who knows, man, if you're only three inches tall, that might feel windy. I mean, ooh. The next chapter, which, by the way, we're only at chapter three, (laughs) uh, is called 30 Scalps. And this was another one where they're they're just kind of reinforcing a negative stereotype. And they talk about the uh, the scalping and how proud Little Bear is of all the scalps he takes. And he he does that multiple times throughout this. Like he's just all about getting scalps. I'm not sure if uh, if it was in the book or if I just heard it from from our discussions before we started recording this, but I think we like we find out that uh, this taking of scalps was not only uh, something that the the English introduced to to Native American culture, but also a, a form of uh, commerce between between them, so they could like get rewarded or. Uh, Pay for uh, pay for things with enemy scalps. So, the Dutch governor of Manhattan, William Kieft, offered the first bounty in North America for Indian scalps in 1641. The English and the French introduced scalping to Indians. So it it was actually yeah it was actually Europeans who introduced scalping to the indigenous people of America. But then turn around and when we were growing up. It was always that was something you would have thought of if someone was scalping, it was going to be the Indians in the movie. Yeah, it somehow got magically attributed to uh, to engines and dirty engines coming scalping us. (laughs) I think that's what the bad guy does. You know, (laughs) when they start realizing they're the bad guy, they turn it around and go, but he's doing it. (laughs) He's the one who's going to attack your women and children. (laughs) Why do they want to do that? Because we killed all their women and children. (laughs) Right? They're real fucking mad, man. (laughs) And they can't take a joke. (laughs) Yeah. But they definitely play it up like Little Bear is trying to say like, oh, yeah, Little Bear, fight like Mountain Lion. Take many scalps. Like, he's the one who scalps. And Omri's even like, scalps? (gasps) Like, dude, your ancestors are the ones who invented it, motherfucker. (laughs) And then, of course, Little Bear is very proud of how many he's taken. And he's like, he's like, how many have you taken? He's like, 10, 20, 30. <laughs> he's like, jeez, how many times have you done this? Well, and so Omri actually asks him if he if he took any white scalps. And he says, yes, some French. He didn't take any English scalps. But most of the scalps he took were from the Indian, from his Indian enemy, the Algonquins. So, I mean, they even like try to make it seem like, you know, like, oh, this is a long history between us Indian tribes. We uh, we just scalp each other. We started it, (laughs) you know, like that's how (laughs) it's like, no, no. (laughs) But I think you'd be I think that 
you'd be hard pressed to ask somebody over 50 today who they think invented scalping. And they would tell you, I have no doubt in my mind, they would say, well, Indians. I guarantee it. Guarantee. And that's the word they'd use, too. They wouldn't be like, well, the Native Americans. They'd be like, God, some people might say even worse. (laughs) It's a common rationalization that I hear from from white people uh, just trying to kind of... uh, apologizing is not the doesn't sound like the best word but you know doing that whole kind of apologetic thing about why you know white culture deserves to be on top or whatever but it was because the, the indians lived in savagery and they were always fighting each other and mm-hmm. it's like oh those those poor native americans they were so peaceful until we got here <laughs> It's like no, they were off killing each other, and they were always f- having wars with their with other native tribes. So don't try to come at me with some bleeding heart liberal saying that uh, that they were all nice and peaceful until the white man came. And isn't it funny that that seems to be the story every fucking time too? Like every time mm-hmm. any of these things are going on, they're like, well, shit was fucked up before we got here. Uh, we tried to like rein it in and it just went crazy <laughs> because they refused to let us help them. That's that's what happened. And the truth of the matter is, is things were actually probably good in almost all these places before they showed up. And <laughs> right. And it's not like tribes didn't fight with each other or sure. didn't go to war with each other, but don't act like the English and French weren't at each other's throats forever or the English and Spanish or the Scottish and English or right. the English and English. Right. <laughs> like they like were- the, Engl- the Protestants versus the Catholics. well it's like you were saying earlier oh well they never invented a giant you know crossbow that they could fire 13 rounds and kill 10 of their enemies with armor piercing arrowheads on them guys so i mean it was a it was a savage form of war where we were sophisticated in the way that we cut the heads off our enemies and stuck them on pikes you know like fuck you (laughs) Hey, we invented an, a machine that could throw a 90 kilogram boulder over 200 meters. All right. That's just how the superior yep. siege engines work. That's how so. more civilized we are. That is a seesaw for anybody who doesn't know. A seesaw. No. <laughs> oh, <it's, laughs> no, sir. That's a trebuchet. And you will get the internet very angry at you. <laughs> a seesaw. Oh, oh yeah. Or a the teeter totter. The tray bucket. Yeah. The tray bucket. I, I know all about the tray bucket. <laughs> you just love mispronouncing French things. <laughs> the tray bucket, Christopher Lambert. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because when we're sitting here talking about this and I'm thinking back and there was a whole period of time in English history where they literally just spent their time coming up with different ways to torture people without killing them to the brink so they could get them to admit something that wasn't true, and then they'd kill them anyways, right? And <laughs> and yet we're bringing civilization to America. The, the favorite story people have... <laughs> Is of hanging someone on a goddamn torture device. You know, I mean, like, 
And they're like, well, we're the fucking sophisticated ones, guys. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> That's who I'm talking about. <laughs> they lived in savagery until we got there. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is something else. And, and the thing is, is that that's not an old way of thinking. That is literally a way of thinking that still persists today. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. ability to think and perceive things from a different point of view. Just, nope, we're right, and that's it. Like, <laughs> wow, man, wow. It's impressive. It actually is impressive, as awful as it is. <laughs> Anyhow. Back to this children's Anyhow. book that... This is just a feel-good episode of, <laughs> of the summer, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know. This we, I think we've had a couple little funny things in here, but it's it's hard because I was... I, I got to say, and, you know, I want to keep going through this book. I want to talk about it. But, man, I was, I was offended all the way through it, and I wasn't when I was a kid. But just by the way that they treat these people in this book, and I know that she didn't mean it. I honestly feel like when she wrote this book, she did it with the best of intentions. I Mm -hmm. think she wanted to try and give a better idea. She wanted to show people, hey, they didn't all just live in teepees and they they had a proud heritage and there was all this good stuff. Right. They're not just primitive savages. They're human beings with feelings and humanity to them right but it's done with language that doesn't fit in 2020 it, or 2021 it doesn't fit today it and it might fit for some people but it doesn't fit for me and this was one of my favorite book series when i was a kid i remember when mm-hmm. i got the first book and then my mom i'm got sure the it doesn't book. fit yeah. with native american audiences any uh any native people who who might read it Right. So now I had seen an article. I wish I would have kept this up. Right. So there was one specific gentleman who he tried to avoid the book forever. Okay. And he finally read it. I can't remember who it was. I want to try and find it. Um, But he said it is a lazy attempt at that uses the most common stereotypes to tell a story and misses every mark all the way through it. Hmm. At the 1991 American Library Association National Conference, Naomi Caldwell Wood and Lisa A. Mitten, former presidents of the American Indian Library Association, listed the book and its sequels under Titles to Avoid, calling them classic examples of highly acclaimed books riddled with horrendous stereotypes of Native Americans. Banks has created her Indian character from the mixed bag of harmful cliches so common among British authors. And in 1992, uh, Doris Seal, a Santee, Dakota, Abenaki, and Cree librarian, wrote, My heart aches for the native child unfortunate enough to stumble across and read these books. How could she, reading this, fail to be damaged? How could a white child fail to believe that he is far superior to the bloodthirsty subhuman monsters portrayed here? Right. They, yeah, they use yeah. lazy, inaccurate depictions of of Native American peoples to try and mm-hmm. tell a story here. And I don't believe that it goes as far as depicting Little Bear as bloodthirsty subhuman. There's definitely, uh, but he is, isn't he? As we go, as we go later, in he's, the book, intru- he's a- introduced as such. Yeah, he he gains some humanity. He feels remorse over. Uh, over things that he does 
uh, to harm the cowboy character that's yet to be introduced. Right. And I guess it, it is a lazy attempt to redeem his character. Right. He a, just feels bad now. Right. You know? He he originates as kind of a bloodthirsty subhuman monster. Yeah. Yeah. It's an odd depiction. And like I say, this was a book I loved when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, it was the 90s. And we were still playing Cowboys and Indians outside. You know, and so that you didn't read it as a Native American would have. No, no, I didn't think of it in the terms of how would the people, the descendants of these people feel about this depiction mm-hmm. or is this history true at all? I don't know. My only idea of this history is a Clint Eastwood movie I saw a couple of years ago. <laughs> you know, now I don't know if Clint Eastwood actually had any movies where they had terrible depictions of Native Americans in it, but I know he did cowboy movies. I know he talked to a chair. He talked to a chair once, <laughs> yes. Told to shut up. Yeah, crazy old Clint Eastwood. In any case, Omri, Omri ends up getting him a, a horse and everything, and uh, the horse- Even though he didn't want a horse, because originally they just walked. Yep, they walked. They didn't ride. He figures it out pretty quick, though. Um, but the, uh, the horse kind of goes crazy at first and kicks little bear in the leg. It was because Omri picked up the box that they were in, wasn't it? And, uh, kicks, kicks him in the leg and cuts him pretty good. And this is where Omri brings to life the English character, the English medic. World War One era, uh, Trent from the trenches medic. Yep. And he's able to convince him that he's just dreaming and he just needs to come over and, Save this Indian over here for me real quick. <laughs> and he's like, okay, yeah, sounds good. And he does, and then he puts him back in the shelf and turns him back into plastic, sends him back out to the war. And Omri does do some some stuff for him that is really nice. He he does he starts to feel responsible for Little Bear. He starts to care about him. He does learn some things. And again, this book does talk about some things that make you you know, you, you like it to a lot of good extent. It's, it's an engaging book. It's fun to read. But I mean, like even when uh, they go outside and they're he lets him ride the horse outside and everything. And he tells him he needs to build a little longhouse. So Omri gets him a garden, uh, a little seed tray and filled with dirt and everything and brings him in some sticks and some bark and some thread so that he can start working on a house, which again, like I say, I mean, he's, he's just like, son of a bitch. Now that I'm here, I got to build a house here. So I guess I live here now, but then later they seem to understand that they can go back. So I think I would be like, just send me back. Wait, I'm going to plead a case to you, buddy. This isn't where I live. (laughs) I mean, does little bear ever express interest in going back to his own time or choose? He just chooses to stay with Omri again. I think it's because at this point he still feels like this is the great white spirit. And he has chosen him to live in this place, and therefore he is not questioning it. He is just doing what he's told, as the stereotype would have you believe. But he seems he seems determined to uh, to stick stick here for the long haul, anyways. Well, I feel like he feels like he's stuck there, so he's going to make the best of what he had. Because Amory has right. made if- no attempt to say, "Oh, I'm going to send you back" or anything like that. Right, he's, although he already has just, at one point, like he did send him back, made him plastic again, and then brought him back to show Patrick. 
that was just to show Patrick. And again, it was he he does it again to bring the cowboy to life, though. He murders uh, a chief. Yeah. (laughs) Right. He brings uh, an Indian chief to life because Little Bear wants a bow and arrow. So he picks out uh, the the Indian that he can find that has a bow and arrow, which is uh, an Indian chief with a big old feather headdress and wearing a cloak, and brings him to life. Uh, whereupon the the chief sees Omri and has a heart attack and dies. Yep. And then Little Bear has gives like no ceremony to this death either. He's just like he's dead <laughs> and starts like stripping his body of stuff. Loot takes the body. his cloak. Yeah, takes his cloak, <laughs> takes his headdress. I'm chief now. Like that doesn't seem I'm not an expert on <laughs> Native he American. moved on him like a D and D rogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was rough. I chief now. Yeah. Yep. Bam. Maybe that's why he didn't want to go back. Because here he's chief now. Right. Yeah. Now he's the chief. Not that it did him any good. He's still just a three inch tall guy that could get stepped on at any moment. He doesn't seem to care about that at all, though. So uh, to get the uh, the Indian chief, he had to go back to the store that uh, uh, Patrick had gotten the, the figure from uh, to find the chief. But first he had to go back to school, and he was telling Patrick actually about the Indian. And he says that his name is Little Bear. And Patrick says, why not call him Running Nose? He asks <laughs> with a grin. Yeah. <laughs> so let's make fun of Indian of Native American names now too, Patrick. Fuck you, Patrick. <laughs> I have in my I have in my notes a couple times. Seriously, fuck you, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, Patrick's kind of an asshole. I don't oh, like him too much. He's a serious Dude. asshole. He's a little shit. I can't fucking stand Patrick. He <laughs> the whole time I was reading there there comes a point where some shit is happening. And the whole time I'm reading, I'm like, Patrick is a kid I definitely would not have been friends with because I would have recognized that he would eventually do what he does right Mm -hmm. away. I would know that he's that type of person. And I'd be like, this is not a person I want around. (laughs) He makes every situation worse. Yeah, for sure. Patrick fucking sucks. (laughs) Omri pretty quickly evolved from having ownership over the little little toy come to life and then seeing him as a person but patrick does not get there for quite some time and he still sees these living breathing uh people as possessions just play things it almost takes a complete loss of them to for him to finally see that he's not responsible enough to to be taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And Omri's not necessarily responsible enough to be taking care of them either. Because, I mean, here's the thing. They may be three inches tall, but these are grown-ass men. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not a plaything. They're not even an animal. You know, they're not a creature. In fact, they call it, he calls them creatures at different points throughout here. And it's like, but they're not creatures. I mean, they're human people. beings are arguably a creature, yes, but they are a different kind of creature. You know, we are we are a definitely <laughs> a different kind of animal on this planet. Right. Yeah, we're a parasite. I mean. <laughs> and on top of that, you don't know that you're not fucking up the timeline and causing huge time paradoxes by keeping somebody from the past in the present day. <laughs> That's why I think that it's one of two things. I like the idea of someone turning into a giant plastic figure and everybody around being like, what the fuck happened to him? (laughs) But I think it's more likely that they blink out for 
like they blink out but blink back in at almost to the exact same moment okay that's kind of what i think too it's almost as if nothing happened they just boop boop right back right for the least potential of fucking up the timeline right so it's more of a doctor who only the character ages right only the character even knows anything happened Mm. okay he just steps out of time for however long pops back in that much older but back in the same moment that he left because clearly little bear remembers it when it happens to him and the soldier the medic remembers mm-hmm. and everything so it, right. so they have and to that's somehow have some... time passes in between pop outs too yep they don't get pulled out of the same moment in time no so it's it's curious time travel is always messy in stories right isn't it though <laughs> do you imagine if that's the only way to travel through time <laughs> you have to become a, you have to become a oh. small thing sometime. <laughs> you have to in inhabit a, 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 yeah, a little figurine. <laughs> <laughs> I pass on instructions to make a small carving of me that looks just like me. Mm-hmm. And then you, you stick it in a cupboard, turn a magic key, and then voila, there I am, a few hundred yep. years in the future. <laughs> Omri's dad uh, severely overreacts to the missing uh, seed tray. (laughs) He is fucking intense about gardening, y'all. Yeah, dude. I thought gardening (laughs) was supposed to be relaxing. Oh, my God. One seed tray goes missing and he flips a table. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Craziness. (laughs) He was easy to buy off, though, so... I'll buy it to replace it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'll also get some some seeds and plant them in there and shit. Right. right, all, right, right. all right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for hitting you. <laughs> <laughs> I think his dad needs to start growing something else. Get him yeah. down a little bit. Jeez. Mm, his herbal tea. The fourth sister. <laughs> <laughs> the devil's lettuce. No, I didn't get this either. Omri was not supposed to ride his bicycle on the road, but then he wasn't supposed to ride it on the pavement either. What? What? Where the fuck is he supposed to ride his bike? In the grass? Like, have you ever ridden a bike in the grass? It sucks. sucks. It sucks. <laughs> oh, they were well- riding it in sand. Yeah, I'd rather walk than ride a bike in the grass. <laughs> Here's your bike, son, but you can't ride it on pavement or the nope. road. Which is pavement. <laughs> you can only find very specific packed dirt trails. <laughs> well, it's England. Maybe they have cobblestone streets over there. Yeah, but I think a cobblestone is paving. Uh, I don't know. And I feel like cobblestone would be more dangerous than a clean concrete road. Like right, at least you want to ride a bike on cobblestone. <laughs> that's almost as bad as grass. Oh yeah. Only slightly better than sand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like sand. No, sand is terrible. Gets everywhere. It's coarse, rough, irritating. (laughs) (laughs) Can make you rub sand in your beady little eyes. (laughs) Also, I'm going to need you to buy sand. (laughs) 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 They grade it coarse. (laughs) I love that show. This is the point, though. (laughs) After the uh, after getting the new tray and everything for his dad and setting everything up, planting some maize in there and stuff because he wants to grow some corn, which, you know, I really don't think he's thinking about how much time it's going to take for all this stuff to grow. But uh, or the proportions when it does. Yep. 
And uh, he finally is ready to show Patrick uh, the the Indian that he has. And Patrick has brought a cowboy that he's like, here, I got you a cowboy to go with your, your little dude. And he doesn't really believe him entirely. And they come up with an idea for making a fire inside his room. Like these parents, you know, your kid's got fires going on in his room. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Patrick is a dick and he should not have shown Patrick at all. For real, especially since he's bringing a cowboy to go with an Indian that he's been told is alive. So what? He just brings an Indian's natural enemy, the cowboy. He expects him to fight and be entertained or something like that's an act of cruelty. And and I really I think that's exactly what he's thinking. He's like, cool. Well, I'll bring this cowboy. We'll bring him to life. And then our Indian and cowboy can fight each other. And like, yeah, Mm -hmm. not considering that these are living beings. But has right. he told Patrick that he could bring them to life yet? Because Patrick's still under the impression that they're plastic. He says, no, how can he... they hurt each other? They're made of plastic. Right. But I believe he tells him in here. He's like, yeah, no, I put him in the cover. <laughs> Literally, the next line life. is, listen, the Indian is plastic. He's real. So that's when he tells him is right after yeah. he says that. So Yeah. When they get back into Omri's room, when he's going to show this to Patrick, they catch his brothers in there looking at the longhouse and they're blown away by how Omri did that. And Omri uh, has a little bit of his dad in him here and just fucking goes ballistic on his brothers and kind of gets called out for being a hypocrite because he's like, you're in my fucking room. You said the bitches get the fuck out of my room. How would you like it if I came in your room? And then one of them's like, like to maybe steal a magnifying glass, you dick. Because <laughs> like, he, because he, he his did. room. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention they were they were praising him. They were like, "How did he make this? This thing is awesome. This is a, so crazy good. Look at this. It's absolutely terrific." Because they saw yep. the longhouse and they were heaping praise upon him, and he flips out. Loses Seriously, his like shit. I would have just been like, "Ooh, they're talking about me and they're saying nice things." I'm just gonna soak up all this positive reinforcement. Yes, even mm. if it's unearned. <laughs> and now Omri does go on because it, now he's Patrick's asking questions about how is this guy real because he sees him now, and he explains to him that you know put him in the cover, turn it on, they come to life, and Patrick's like. Let's put all the fucking toys in the cupboard, you know, and he he wants to. And then Omri actually shows that he understands this. He's like, you know, Little Bear is not a toy. He's a, he's a real person. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he even says here he really lived. Maybe he's still, I don't know, in the middle of his life somewhere in America in 17 something or other. Yeah. It's not just animating a toy to movement. Right. It is imbuing them with the soul of a a real person who lived in the past. Right. So this reminds me of this. There's a scene in the movie where he grabs a whole bunch of his toys and puts them in the in the cabinet and brings them all to life. It is a crazy bonker scene, but there's like Robocop, Darth Vader, the oh, T-Rex nice. from Jurassic Whoa. Park, and they're all just like alive and fighting each other. And he's like, Seriously? he like freaks out and closes it and <laughs> turns it back huh. into plastic because it's that hilarious. That kind of changes the rules here, though. Like, it that's like, these are fictional characters, like Darth Vader and Robocop and Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, everybody, everybody knows dinosaurs are fictional characters invented by the liberal media. Right. Same to disprove birds. the existence of God. And yeah. birds, too. Yeah. Yeah. Birds were created by the CIA to spy on people. Right. Yeah. Birds <laughs> are real. fall from dinosaurs. How can birds be real if dinosaurs aren't real? But anyways. Exactly. <laughs> Just like giraffes. Not real. <laughs> but anyways. Um, in, here in the book, the like these people are all like actual people who lived, apparently. Right. I mean, yeah. but like, who are you going to get as an analog if you want to animate Darth Vader? It's <laughs> true. Like to me, like that would be just animating a toy t- into movement with kind of like a manufactured soul or what what have you, instead of like plucking a person out of the timeline. And putting him into this uh, this figure. And I'm sure that if Lynn Reed Banks had the say on that, she probably would have had that argument to have. But mm-hmm. clearly that scene was the brainchild of some idiot movie executive that thought, I've got a great idea. Let's have him bring these things to life. And... They didn't even love it. consider, yeah, they didn't consider the ramifications because they just want butts and seats, you know, I mean, <laughs> I make millions of dollars a year sitting here in this chair, so clearly I have an artistic vision. <laughs> <laughs> My ideas are worth millions more than your ideas. <laughs> yeah, as they've ruined so many things over the years. <laughs> just like the CEO of McDonald's works 1,000 times harder than its minimum wage employees. <laughs> right, yeah. $8,500 an hour. Yeah, he works so hard, right? I'm sure. <laughs> so much harder. <laughs> now, how do you know that the CEO of a Fortune 500 company is a he? <laughs> The last time I saw the CEO of McDonald's, it was a an African American male. Oh yeah. Yep. That and that was years ago though. That was years ago. So I don't know if that's true anymore. Yeah, I don't know. But and I guess I don't know if he was the CEO, but he was definitely uh, the higher up. That the whole it was during a time when they were questioning like the difference in wages between the CEO and the common worker. All right, I binged it. The current CEO of McDonald's is Chris Kempchinski, and he's a white dude. Don Thompson is the one I'm thinking of. He was mm. the chief executive from 2012 to 2015. And now he's the CEO of Cleveland Avenue, an investment group and accelerator that focuses on building new food, beverage, and restaurant concepts, which he founded in 2015. Interesting. Mm, that sounds like work that's worth thousands of dollars an hour. But in any case, I was right. It was a guy. (laughs) (laughs) And my question was rhetorical because, of course, a very powerful person is a is a white guy. It's a it's a dude. Statistically, you can't go wrong assuming. Nope. (sighs) Getting back to the story, uh... (laughs) we're still we're still on this positivity kick, aren't we? (laughs) You know, here's the thing. I, I think that we are all preparing for this one right here where it was just like, holy shit. Right. We're starting <laughs> off. We're kicking off the Indian in the cupboard. This right. is going to be <laughs> yeah. a trip. Yeah. It, and it's it's funny because with the time that we grew up in till now, we have made the changes. I know that when I was younger, I had, you know, I thought things were just this way and this was right and stuff. But I was wrong and willing to listen and gain different perspectives and look at things objectively throughout my life. And we're caught in this place where it's like the people 
after us are like ridiculous about it. Okay. Yeah. We were raised on a bunch of stories and characters that encouraged empathy. Yeah. And the people above us are like, no, none of that other stuff that they keep trying to tell you is true. The story we told you is true. And it's like, (laughs) wait a second. I think you guys are both a little bit wrong here. You know, (laughs) history is written by the winners. Yep. (laughs) You got to step on the little guy. And you can't change history. Nope. That's the thing I'm hearing a lot. You can't change history. Uh, well, yeah, you can, if it was wrongly interpreted. <laughs> you don't need to change history. You just need to actually know all the history. That's the difference. You need to acknowledge difference. all of the history. Yeah, Correct. you can't just Not acknowledge just the side. parts that sound good for you. you yeah, know? Nobody's changing the history. We are putting it in the proper context and characterization. Right. And it's not like somebody just suddenly wrote these stories or wrote this information down. And yeah, no, it's been there. It's been there the whole time. It's just that it wasn't popularized or put into books and sold to schools so that kids could learn it. <laughs> so what point of the story are we at? <laughs> we're, at we're at the point where uh, little dickhead here is about to put the uh, cowboy oh, inside little the dickhead. cover. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Dickhead Patrick's going to put the Indian in the, or the, the cowboy in the cupboard. Uh, Omri goes downstairs to uh, to talk to his mom and try and get a little bit of food. And it, as at this point when he's downstairs, he realizes, son yeah. of a bitch, I left Great that. Great timing. Just yeah. as Patrick was champing at the bits to put that cowboy in that cupboard. Mm-hmm. But I think like Little Bear was uh, was badgering him to go get some food. Go go get me something. Yep. Yeah, he wanted he wanted food. Give me for meat. Sure. Yeah. So I think Omri just got got flustered, and that's kind of a hard thing to forget. Because you got like life and death on the line for this cowboy that uh, that fuckhead Patrick is <laughs> wanted to bring to life, or po- po- potentially putting Little Bear in danger too. Right, and I mean shit. The first thing that happens is a Patrick Patrick gets his right away. He gets shot in the face. <laughs> but the bullet's too small to even. Damage him very much. No, so. Omri's able to pop it out like a pimple, like a blackhead or something. <laughs> right. But the cowboy is definitely trying to just figure that he must be so drunk that he's having ho- hallucinations. Hallucinations. I do like how the Texan accent is written out <laughs> yeah. by this British author. <laughs> it was quite enjoyable to uh, to read out loud. I do like how he is kind of a crybaby. <laughs> The cowboy, no, yeah, instead of the stereotypical tough, (laughs) tough guy, it's this, uh, you know, blubbering, soft hearted cowboy dude. Surprise, uh, surprise, the white guy is the the non stereotypical guy with layers. Oh, of course. (laughs) Well, it was was funny though. He was like, he was, was he crying? Like, and, and, like that's how I read it. And then like he, he cries like multiple times. My friends call me boohoo on account of I cry so easy. <laughs> I just got a soft heart, and I'm like, I get it, dude. I totally get you. I cry about you know s- silly, stupid things, uh, like uh, movie trailers. I have a tendency to cry during movie trailers when I'm at the theater. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> It's pretty easy to make me cry at a movie. We were talking about it last night. I cried at the end of uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, yeah. We, we, mm. yeah. 
I got my TB test for my new job, and that's why we were discussing. I, I, I <laughs> when I went in to get my my test, I was like, yeah, I, I had somebody close to me pass away from TB. She's like, really? Who? And I was like, oh, his name was Arthur Morgan. And she's like, like thinking to herself, I'm like, Red Dead Redemption. She's like, oh god damn it. <laughs> she knew what I was talking about. <laughs> she's like, I knew that name sounded familiar. I was like, Arthur Morgan. Where do I know that? So yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, after Omri goes to sleep this night because he keeps the cowboy and little bear. And after he goes to sleep this night, um, he wakes up to them fighting uh, the cowboy shooting and uh, little bear firing arrows. And that's when he starts crying because he shoots the hat off the cowboy. And, <laughs> and after he takes the bow away from him, he's like, what can we do to help? He goes, I lost my hat. <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts <laughs> crying. <laughs> and he's like, it's okay. And he brings the hat back to him. <laughs> but Patrick insists that uh, the cowboy and Little Bear come to school the next day. Well, he insists that the cowboy come to school and Little Bear is like offended that Omri would take the cowboy but not him. If he goes to school, I'm going to go to school. Right. I want, I want to see the school you're talking about. And Patrick insists that Omri bring the cowboy because the cowboy's mine. I bought him. Yep. Still having that ownership. And it's just that kind of talk about owning a person. It just gives me the creepy crawlies. <laughs> right. <laughs> also, Little Bear is asking for a wife because he wants yes. to fuck. <laughs> Specifically, he's asking for a woman. Bring me woman. Give me woman. <laughs> Chief like, need wife. Want one beautiful. Good cook. Yeah, and when Omri cooks food for them, Little Bear makes the comment like, oh, you're a woman. You're a woman because you can cook. And Omri's like, no, some of the best cooks are men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now let's bring gender roles into this mess. Yep, yep. <laughs> People are going to love this episode. It's going to be their oh, favorite man. one as we just <laughs> solemnly talk about <laughs> how terrible it is. But then at the same time, just keep listening throughout and you'll catch the little points where we say something ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Little Bear is, he really wants the cowboy's scalp. What was the cowboy's name? We got to find that so that we can start. Boone. Is that Boone? Yep, Boohoo okay. Boone. Boohoo Boone. Okay, yeah, you said the name, and here I'm like, what was his name? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he likes Boone's scalp because Boone has red hair. Yeah, he's a ginger. Yep. So, not only is he a crybaby cowboy, but he has no soul. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. At breakfast, they have a truce because Omri makes some food, and he's like, you can't have the food if you don't sit and eat it together. So they decide to have a little truce and eat the food together. And then he lets them know that he's going to take them to school. And I thought it was funny, like the way that he took them to school and the way that they the way that they uh, carry them around all day is in their pants pockets. That's got to suck. Could you like that? I thought about that. Well, just like when you sit down, like if you're wearing. Uh Yeah, you get you get pressed flat. Right. It's just so so tight against you. Yeah, it's got to suck being in there. Oh, man, that would be the worst. I, just more mistreatment of these people. <laughs> and they got to stay in there for hours. Like, yeah. they're in there the whole time that, uh, that I'm raising class. Like, wouldn't that have been a good way to do it? Like, you know, Little Bear's all, I want to go to school. And he's like, let me show you how I'm going to have to carry you all day. You can sit in there <laughs> for 20 minutes and tell me if you actually want to go to school with me. 
<laughs> right. No, in the movie, didn't they keep? Didn't he keep him in his shirt pocket? Uh, fanny pack. A I fanny pack. A fanny pack. A fanny pack. Nice. How'd you watch the movie? Was it on uh, Amazon? Prime it's on one of it? the streaming ones. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head which one it was, but yeah, it was one of them. Unfortunately, I have all of them, so I can't think of which one it was right now. Right. <laughs> That is what it, the pandemic has done. It has added to all of my streaming services. <laughs> right. So actually, this uh, it hit a word that I, I had to look up because I wanted to know exactly what it meant when I was reading it this time. When they're getting ready to go, or a Boone, Boone says he wants to fight uh, Little Bear, but he wants to do it with his fist, not with a gun, not with a knife. And it says Little Bear was non-plused. Uh, N-O-N-P-L-U-S-E-D. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what non-plused meant or how to say it, actually, which is rare for me. And it means filled with be- filled with bewilderment, at a loss to understand those remarks, puzzled, like, just perplexed. Yeah. yeah. So I she could have just said perplexed. But <laughs> apparently there's another word for that, and it's non-plused. Non-plused. <laughs> See it come up from time to time. But yeah, they spend their whole day in school and it is shitty there. He tries to get Boone to wash up and Boone doesn't want to wash his clothes. He says that the dirt and the sweater would keep you warm. Gross. <laughs> you assume he's been wearing these clothes for a while. Like stiff as a board, probably. <laughs> um, so that when they go to school, uh, Omri has the uh, little bear and Boone for the morning and sometime around lunch they trade out and patrick gets them and it isn't long after patrick gets them that start causing all kinds of trouble and next thing you know they're in trouble with the teacher and they end up getting sent to the headmaster and when they're in with the headmaster they are uh, patrick is just like he can't take it he yeah oh my god they're like oh. they were at they were at lunch and patrick's just keep bugging him to to give up to give him up and causing a scene in the line for lunch and gets the attention of all the all the other students and like he's got them in his pants pocket and he's sitting down there he's like kind of rocking back and forth probably because he's uncomfortable or trying to be considerate of them in his pocket but uh, you just feel so bad for for the little guys in there, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that would be awful. But yeah, they do get sent to the principals because he just can't keep his mouth shut. Just can't be cool for one second. No, nope. damn it, Patrick. Uh, no. He's the worst. Oh, I and, hate you. Like I say, he's one of those kids where he just you know you can't trust him. That's what it comes down to. You can't trust mm-hmm. him. Like he's a squealer. He's a yeah, snitch. He's, he's a squealer. He's a snitch, and. It, you know, you can't do anything and in the, not even necessarily doing anything wrong, but they're just going to get you in trouble because because they suck. <laughs> <laughs> just can't keep his cool. Yeah, can't keep his cool. And uh, they end up uh, the headmaster ends up sending Omri out of the room because Patrick clearly has something to say. And so Omri's outside and he's just like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to fucking kill him. And which was I was surprised about because this is a children's book. But um <laughs> Then uh, a little, a few second minutes later, uh, the headmaster opens the door and he's like, uh, talks to his secretary and he's like, uh, I have to leave for the day. And he's all white in his face. And he's like, I won't be back in hold all my calls. And he takes off. 
And uh, when Patrick comes out, he's like, yeah, I I showed him to him. And he didn't believe it. He didn't believe his own eyes and thought he must be hallucinating. (laughs) And so that's how they escaped was because this adult. He fucking caved. Yeah. (laughs) He fucking did did the last thing he was supposed to do and it fucking worked out. It only worked out because this adult <laughs> was so stringent that he couldn't possibly believe it could be true. I think he was believed he was maybe having an acid flashback. Like, yeah. He, he was like, oh, man. Well, Just, Omri's biggest fear here was that they would take them to be studied by, by science or something. Right. Like E.T. Yeah. You know, and who knows then what does Patrick tell him about the cupboard? Then they take the cupboard, they take the key. He loses everything, you know, all because this little dick face couldn't just shut his fucking mouth and move along. Yeah, I don't like Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) There's a line in here I really like. Let me find it again because I lost it. They're not safe with you. You use them. They're people. You can't use people. Mm -hmm. That's just a good line. Because you shouldn't use people. Yeah, and at one point he <laughs> says, uh, uh, Omri had told him, like, hey, man, you know, this is, you got to be careful with them, blah, blah, blah. Patrick replies, cowboys and Indians are used to rough treatment. Yeah, like, <laughs> dude. They're tough guys. They can handle it. <laughs> They're, they got it. They're good. <laughs> Again, going off of stereotypes. All stereotypes. I don't think Patrick was there when Boo Hoo Boone started crying earlier. <laughs> right, right. Over losing his hat. And then uh, Omri gets both of them back. He's like, no, you got to give them to me. You're not responsible enough. Go eat some dirt, you moron. <laughs> um, I, and so he gets them back. And then the next class they had was uh, was art class. And when they went in there, uh, Omri kind of went off to the side so that he could let them out of his pocket so they weren't stuffed in there because Omri actually gives a damn about these people and uh, he lets Boone draw on his paper and it turns out that Boone is something of an artist. He also has his own pencil that he brings with him apparently. Like who'd have thought, who thought up that when they were making the plastic figure? Oh, by the way, I'm going to add a pencil for this cowboy. (laughs) (laughs) But he draws like this little town image and it's super tiny and when the teacher sees it, she's blown away by it. She asks Omri how he drew it, what he drew it with, and he is able to hold out the pencil that Boone used, which I think would be even more unbelievable than the picture itself. If I were looking at it, I'd be like, "This is something's wrong. Okay, empty your pockets. I am convinced that you have two little three-inch men in your pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Not only did somebody draw this for you, but that person has got to be about three inches tall. (laughs) And likely a cowboy. (laughs) (laughs) But Omri kind of gets off on this whole blowing people's minds thing. I mean, wouldn't you? With the little people. I mean, I'd be... I'd be worried about them having further questions and pressing the issue to the point that the headmaster was not too long ago. I feel like Omri didn't really learn much of anything from that. This is true, but the headmaster is gone now. Right. What he may have learned, taken away from that, I think his takeaway was it's okay to kind of let these little people stretch their legs because the the grown-ups are just going to flip out and not do anything about it. Right, they won't believe it anyways, so screw it. Well, he was totally okay showing the minuscule pencil that drew that uh, that picture that he's taking credit for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking plagiarism now. So yeah. 
once school was out, though, they go to the store with all the plastic figures and uh, he lets Little Bear choose the wife that he's going to take home. Little little harem. Yep. And it goes all the way down till he finally finds like the last one in the bottom. And that, of course, that's the one Little Bear wants. It's not. And I guarantee you it's not because that one was better than the other ones. It's because Little Bear is fucking difficult and demanding all the time. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> he's. This one required the most effort, so that's the one he liked the best, even though they all looked the same except different color painted on their dresses. Right. And at this point, the shopkeeper, after he buys the uh, lady, the shopkeeper accuses him of stealing two figures because, of course, it was, you know, Boone and Little Bear. And luckily, he is able to, as he's getting accused, he's able to tell Boone and Little Bear, hey, be plastic. And when he pulls them out, they stay they stay completely still. And he gets away with it because... Patrick has one saving grace, and that is he backs him up. This is the one time that Patrick is useful. Patrick comes in and backs him up. Yep, he saves him at the end. Yep. I have one more thing to say about the whole selection of the woman thing. They had a couple different uh, models of female Indian there, but uh, two of the five he found, one was clearly old, and two had babies tied on their backs. And Humphrey says, you don't want one with a baby, I suppose. And Little Bear gave him a look. No, I thought not, said Omri hastily. <laughs> so, fuck you. What's wrong with single mothers? <laughs> What's wrong with single parents in general? Like, you know they put out. You know they go all the way. <laughs> they have a baby. <laughs> and here we are now. We've got uh, colonialism, racism, and now the patriarchy has made its way into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't take a bride that already has a baby. I mean, maybe it was because you'd be taking away a woman who's already married out of her timeline or whatever. Right. Or who's already the property of uh, another man. Well, and isn't that the reason he asked him not to bring her back, bring her to life in the first place when he gets the chance finally is because she has a life like, you know, because they're starting to realize like they don't want to stay here now. Little Bear's feeling it. Boone's feeling it. They don't want to stay here. This isn't life for them because mm. at this point there it starts with him trying to find they, they get back to the house and the key is missing they can't find the key and uh he's uh Omri's sure that his brothers have taken it and they're like no we didn't take it you know and what it turns out is his rat one of his brother's uh pet rat got loose in the house and is crawling around in the fo- floorboards And their dad had all his floorboards up that day trying to catch the rat. And at some point, the key must have fallen in there because they looked everywhere. This is where they went up in the attic uh, to the glory hole. Patrick and Omri Omri visited a glory hole. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I did not know that glory hole had a non-sexual connotation, but... They call the attic just sort of just a sort of glory hole where they could play and leave a total mess. So now I kind of want to well visit I'm, a glory hole. I, not visit a glory hole, but I was leave a total going to mess. say like <laughs> do a search for glory holes, but that could be super dangerous. <laughs> to it. do a search for glory holes and look for the 
innocent definition. Glory door. Why I'm, do I type glory I'm, door? I'm going to put glory hole into Bing here and check it out. Uh, yeah, glory hole porn videos, glory hole videos, glory hole porn videos, glory hole porn videos, glory hole, okay. urban dictionary. A glory hole is a hole made in a thin wall or other type of partition <coughs> where a man can insert their penis for sexual simulation, <laughs> stimulation by an anonymous person <laughs> on the other side. Where are glory holes in the United States? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. All right. Um, um, Mm, how how might we cert- do a search Innocent for the archaic term? Glory hole. <laughs> glory hole archaic term. No, okay. Okay. <laughs> so I put in Did- innocent glory hole. <laughs> innocent <laughs> glory hole. In- innocent glory hole porn videos. Innocent glory hole. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get rid of that. <laughs> okay. All right. So I found on dictionary.com, where does glory hole come from? In the 1820s, a glory hole was a slang term for a junk drawer. No, not that kind of junk. Other 19th century uses included include small compartments on ships and other small rooms, along with some still current specialized uses in glass blowing, engineering, and mining. The glory here apparently goes back to a Scots word meaning muddy, but that's probably not why you're here, it says. <laughs> so it's kind of a slang term for a junk drawer or like just a catch-all place where like your your sundries can, can be held. Not according to my search. <laughs> <laughs> I should have used incognito. <laughs> <laughs> On Google, but Bing doesn't have that. (laughs) Now, we're not here to talk about Bing's shortcomings. (laughs) I love Bing otherwise. Not if we're angling for a sponsorship. (laughs) Maybe it's something they should look into. (laughs) Yes, constructive criticism. It's a constructive criticism, that's all. So they they get back to the house. They're looking for the... Uh, key up in the glory hole. Uh, they don't find anything, but they make a mess. And finally, Omri realizes that it's got to be under the bed. So, and now Patrick stays the night this night, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, Patrick is yep. staying the night. And so, so they uh, they decide that the only way to do this is to actually open up the open up the floor. Oh no, there's a reason they need to find the key. They need to find the key so they can bring back the medic. Because while they were watching a Cowboys and Indians movie on TV, Boone starts cracking jokes at Little Bear. And instead of taking it in stride, Little Bear ends up shooting Boone with an arrow. Has that happened yet? That's that's next. I mean, that's after the attic and the, yeah, they search through the glory hole. Oh, yeah, they're searching for the key to bring the woman to life, but they yep. kind of give up on their search and go watch TV. Okay. Yep. And then uh, Little Bear reacts crazily to some jokes and teasing about, you know, Indian versus cowboy. And Crazily? Uh, I don't believe so. They're watching a movie and- They're watching a Western. A, they're watching a Western and it's pretty uh, apparent that- a lot of the basically it's you know they're showing the natives as 
it's a typical cowboy movie. They're showing, yeah, they're made out to be. They're being made out to be raiders and villains. Yeah. But they're they're becoming friends, though. You know, I mean, sure, this movie's this. But for the most part, these guys have been getting along. They had breakfast together. They spent time in a glory hole together, you know. <laughs> That that's the kind of shit that you know brings brings two men together, you know. Right. When Josh comes to visit, we should go to a glory hole, and you know, the three of us will bond at a glory hole. Of course, I mean like you know a junk drawer of some kind, or you know. Right. I mean, are you are you, are you talking about are you talking about you and the two three inch men in your pocket? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because I, I, I ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to find a ship that has some kind of compartment with a thin wall partition and a holes. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in this Western, uh, there's pioneers in a circle in their wagons against an Indian attack. And um, Boone is cheering on the, uh, the white dudes. And he said, that's how it was. My ma and pa was in a fight. Like that, and my pa told me he done shot near, near enough 15, 20 of them dirty savages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he did, yeah. He is being a This dick. ain't no playful ribbing. Yeah, no. this isn't playful <laughs> ribbing, dude. This is like, my family killed your people. How do you feel? And then Little Barry responds, white men move on to land, use water, kill animals. Boone, so what? Let the best man win. And we won. Yippee! Yay, white people. <laughs> yay, kill all them Indians. Yeah, yay. Right, but I mean, they had they had eggs and beans for breakfast. Does he need to shoot them? I'm just saying. Uh, well, he does. <laughs> yeah. He does. He, does, he, shoot up next does. Thing, he does shoot Next him. thing Boone knows, he's got an arrow sticking out of his chest. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but Little Bear does feel bad right away. You know, it's kind of just a reaction, like, motherfucker, don't be talking like that. And then he shoots him. I mean, he really could have, like, climbed up there and punched him in the face. That would have been a better reaction, I think. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. No. Right. The quickest retribution available to him was picking up his bow and shooting him but which yeah, is problematic it, as if we're trying to not show indians as bloodthirsty savages that's what i'm saying like <laughs> the reaction that he has is a little bit too much i think he could have just like called him down for a fist fight like boone had earlier you know what i mean boone was willing to have a fist fight earlier like nah put down your knife and and again even then you know, uh, Little Bear wasn't willing to have like a wrestling or a match of, of strength between the two. He wanted the knife, you know, and mm-hmm. Boone was willing to do it with his fists. And then here, instead of like telling him, you come down here and, you know, we'll fight, uh, you know, about this, he shoots him with an arrow instead. I guess that's what I mean by he oh, he reacts in the way that the stereotype you, would say the he should stereotypical react. yeah the stereotypical way is how i meant i guess mm. but yeah so now they need to find the key and they're freaking out because they don't know where it is and uh omri realizes that the key must have fallen underneath the floorboards when his dad had the floorboards up but also at the same time the rat is loose in the house and he comes up with a plan, and that is to have Little Bear look for the key. And Little Bear is more than willing to go do it because now he wants to help. He he isn't happy with himself for shooting Boone, and he doesn't want Boone to die. So he gets down in there, 
and he goes running through and then that's when Omri hears the skittering of the rat and Little Bear does end up getting the key and running out and just as he dives out of the hole and into Omri's hand and Omri lifts his hand, the rat comes running through and he so Little Bear risked his life for Boone at the same time, you know, and he does he does get the key back. They're able to bring back the World War II guy who saves Boone, and it's at just this- in the nick of time for the, for this uh, this medic too, because he was about to like there was an incoming uh, what do you call it? Right, it was like a mortar, but yeah, they had a special term for it. Minenwerfer, a mini, a big German shell. Yep, they make a big whistling sound when they're falling, then carboom. And I feel like Little Bear has a secondary per- want want for this for him to get the key because he's been going on and on and on about this wife. <laughs> like I want my wife. I want he this wants woman. To get his dick wet. That's exactly right. He <laughs> wants to fuck. Yep. <laughs> so he's he's very salty. So I what feel like he has that. What good is it being chief? Yeah. What good is it being chief if I ain't getting any? If he ain't getting any. That's right. Also, I feel like he felt the rat would be like. I feel like it would be like the equivalent of a grizzly bear. Oh, probably. For sure. For sure. So I have an illustration in my edition of the book where they're like, if I ran into a rat as comparatively big as that, uh, I'd be freaked out. I believe we have the same depiction. So yeah, yeah, it would be about the size of a grizzly compared to compared to a <laughs> a little person like that. So yeah. Now, if it if it meant going without the touch of a woman for the rest of your life, <laughs> would you go up against a a rat that size for the chance to? Have sex again. I mean, right now? Because it's been a long time, and I haven't had to go up against any type of giant rat, and I just haven't had any, so... (laughs) What if if going up against a giant rat was what what got you there, you know? Mm. Like, if if you were presented Like, what if that's what you're into? Yeah. No, no, like, what if... if (laughs) Some some woman came up and she said, if you fight this giant rat, you know. <laughs> fight this giant rat for me and I am yours, baby. And I'm yours forever. I mean, forever? Does she have a nice personality? Is she pretty cool? She's got a shit personality. Oh, she I looks good in plastic, no. though. No, thank yep. you. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't have a baby. And she's not old. At this point, I'm looking for uh, quality, not quantity. So... <laughs> So no on the rat, you wouldn't fight the rat. You wouldn't fight the Again, rat. Again, it depends for on the on the the person and their personality to see if I so, would click with them. So you think <laughs> it's a lot you think it's it. reasonable to <laughs> have to have someone give you the terms of I will be with you if you fight a giant rat. You think that's reasonable, Josh? We need to talk about how you. I mean, feel I about watched yourself. several right. seasons of Rock of Love and enjoyed all of them. So. <laughs> I'm okay with love competitions in general. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, not a big fan of The Bachelor because it's way too fake. (laughs) I am not a fan of love competitions. I think those things are disingenuous. (laughs) Oh, I just like the stupid ones. Again, it was just Rock of Love and it was two seasons of it because it was not the first season where he was actually trying. It was the second and third season where it was just a big cash grab. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was it the same guy that they were trying to hook up with yeah the all- dude from poison oh jesus christ so they made a three season show trying to find him love that's ridiculous <laughs> and they didn't make him fight one rat oh 
not he one rat, but rat there's a lot season. of uh, uh, dubious women that would uh, get into various uh, fighting and competitions. Yeah, I hate that stuff so much. I I, I can't watch it. I oh, mm. that is the it was a worst weird time kind of entertainment. <laughs> All right, so little Tommy bear gets can, the key. Yep, in spite of the rat, they they bring Tommy through, and he's able to get uh, Boone stabilized. Omri suggests giving him penicillin, which Tommy has no idea what penicillin was is. Tommy's the medic, by the way. Yep, Tommy's the medic. And that's because penicillin did not get used until 1942. So Tommy has no idea what penicillin is. But he does give him iron pills to take to help his blood. Get that blood back up. Yep. Uh, also gave him a bit of brandy from his flask. Yep. Because that's good for you. Boone being an alcoholic, that just gave him superpowers. So. Yep. Now. Just, uh, put him into relapse. <laughs> <laughs> so Omri insists that they become blood brothers, uh, where they actually have to cut their wrists a little bit and mix their blood up with each other. Do you guys. Okay, so do you guys have any blood brothers in that sense? No. I always thought that was ridiculous, and I thought it was strange to mix your blood with another person's blood, and it seemed wrong then, and I learned later in life that I was right to be wary of <laughs> mixing my blood with another person's blood. <laughs> you were this, right, but I was a stupid kid. This came before knowledge of AIDS was a thing. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I was a stupid kid, so I do have a blood brother. <laughs> you did that? <laughs> yep, I'm a dumb kid. Yeah. Yep. Jeremy and my friend Jeremy and I are blood brothers in that in that sense. So I wonder how he's doing. Mm. <laughs> Jeremy, I, I hope like you're listening a story to the podcast. There. I'll bing it. <laughs> how is Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could I could probably go on Facebook, but I don't want to go back on that cesspool. So so yeah, uh, Boone and Little Bear slit their wrists. Actually, no, that's not entirely accurate. Uh, Little Bear nicks his wrist, and Boone doesn't want to. <laughs> he needs his courage built up. But I think Little Bear does it for him, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, and you know what? I was wrong. He did have him bring uh, his the lady to, to life. You were and... thinking of the movie. Because in the movie, yep. he says, yeah, yep. don't bring... No, don't, because she has her own life. Yep. Ah, yeah, important distinction. Yep, in the so book, he does... They, they do bring the woman to life for... Uh, for little bear and then he takes her yep <laughs> right then and, and there <laughs> and he immediately likes her and he wants to keep her and she immediately likes him yep because but they men. do they do become blood brothers <laughs> yeah and boone was all worried about it he was scared <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how you know we're reading these books by female authors and they're going along with all the the patriarchal stereotypes that have always been Oh, for sure, but that's what the world that they grew up in and were not necessarily allowed to move on from for years and, it's and years. What, I mean, it's what sold books. Right, for sure. I mean, not so much with uh, with Ann Martin and the Babysitter's Club. There was some of that, too, but, you know, not so much. But so far, she was the one where we saw the most examples of, you know, self, uh, self-sufficient self women or... Her and R.L. Stein. Her and R.L. Stein. That's that's very true. Like the Jerry Spinelli too with uh, mm. Amanda Amanda Beale. Amanda Beale, yeah. Yep. 
it's crazy how all the good female <laughs> uh, characters are. Yeah, no, no, no. not not necessarily coming from women. No, which is surprising. But again, going along with the patriarchy was how you sold books. Right, exactly. But yeah, so they become blood brothers. Uh, they mix their blood together, and uh, at this point, it's when they kind of start thinking about the idea of not sticking around any longer because this isn't their home. Uh, Boone definitely wants to get back. He's wanted to get back from the beginning. He's Well, that's because he's an alcoholic. Right. He didn't want to <laughs> stay here. And now Little Bear wants to get back. Um, I think Little Bear's in for a surprise because he thinks he's a chief now, but when he goes back to his time, he's going to be like showing up in chief clothes and they're all going to be like, you ain't the chief. Who do you think you are? Yeah. You sit and, back down. Your, your dad's still alive, chief. Yep. <laughs> and they kind of assume that if his new wife, who who clearly loves him dearly. Her name is um, Bright Stars, by the way. Bright Star, yeah. Bright yep. Stars, yep. If she, if she sits on the horse and puts her arms around him, then when they turn back into plastic, they'll show up together. That's the idea. They're, ge- so, they're guessing. <laughs> so how does that work now? So, so we've decided that they come out of time. We think they come out of time for that moment. And mm-hmm. become real here. And then when they're put back, they just kind of blink into that moment. But if she is on the horse now and has her arms around him and then blinks into time with him, what happens to where she was prior to that? Yeah. That know. universe Don't. collapses. She just blinks <laughs> out of time and that universe collapses. Yeah. Lynn I mean, Banks didn't set that up too well. I mean, we need to know. I think we need to set up an interview with Lynn Reed Banks and really get down to the nitty gritty of the quantum physics behind this. Seriously. I mean, they probably created a whole new timeline right. if Avengers Endgame taught us anything. Can you imagine the ramifications of what you've done here, Miss Banks? Can you imagine? I've got to spend the next four books trying to put everything back to where <laughs> it was. Right, right. Because uh, we do get four more books in the series full of uh, Indians coming back and going going yep. forward. We have the Indian cupboard in the first book, The Return of the Indian, The Secret of the Indian, uh, The Mystery of the Cupboard, and The Key to the Indian. Yeah. But let's fin- let's finish this book first. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're there. We're at the end. We're, we're getting there, yeah. Pretty much the end. Yeah, he sends them back to their time or... We don't know what happens with the bright eyes and situation. <laughs> bright stars, yeah. And then Omri and Patrick decide they're going to play with pills. Yep. They decide to play with pills instead. And you almost wonder, were they playing with pills the whole time? Did this actually happen? <laughs> Probably. It was all a hallucination. He does give the key to his mother and suggest that she put it on a chain and wear it so that first, it makes sure he knows where it is, and second, removes the... Uh, what would I say? Temptation for him to use uh, it again and bring the, them back. Yeah, he says, leave it empty in case. Yep. In case the publisher pays for a sequel. Yep. <laughs> and they did, four of them. So I think that we were pretty, all the way through this book, pretty vocal about how we felt about it uh, and whether or not I would recommend this to someone. I I really probably would and it's I'm glad that I got to enjoy it when I was a kid and mm-hmm. I didn't have so many perplexing thoughts and problems with it back then and I'm kind of glad I read it now to see like holy shit I can't believe that this is what I read when I was a kid 
And, you know what I mean? And I didn't We've see any problems with it. quite a long way in sensitivity to other people's cultures. Yeah, I think it gives, it's actually a good, uh, it's a good, uh, I don't know, mile, mile marker for progress, I guess. It's an artifact of the way we was, yep. for sure. And it is an interesting book. It's compelling and fun to read. And like I say, mm-hmm. that whole that whole sequence where Patrick had the two uh, guys and was in the headmaster's office, I had anxiety all through those pages. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying for them. Terrible anxiety, yeah. I mean, separate the whole dealing with uh, with other people's cultures and like, ju- like just make it about... Uh, two action figures brought to life and you have to deal with the the moral ramifications of having living breathing people in the palm of your hand right and if you remove the whole uh sensitivity to to native american culture and and all that you still have a pretty good story you still have a very imaginative fantasy story about uh, the value of human life yeah, I read it very quickly. It it was a page turner for sure. I, it might mm-hmm. be because uh, I remembered it as a, being being fond of it as a younger child, and I remember seeking out not information to learn more about Native Americans at that time because the book got me interested in it. But yeah, looking back on it now, it's just like this is so just not right in so many ways but it's well written and it's a fun story i mean like if you you know if if some things could be changed out if we could find out more about uh little bear from a a perspective that is more true to history you know and and if if we could correct some of the misconceptions and uh negative stereotypes that's we're started out with right it it would make it a good it would make it a lot better than it is because it is well written it is compelling it does put you in the scene it makes you feel what's going on it, it's a, it's a good book it's just not it's out of time it's problematic yeah it's problematic mm-hmm. and it's out of time you know <sighs> speaking of being out of time <laughs> we are way out of time we are yeah this this uh, episode has gone pretty long but i felt like we had some uh some good talk here gentlemen i do as well i think that this is probably i'd say we're gonna have some fun in there but at the same time uh it was kind of some unavoidable stuff which is why next week we're going to approach a different story that i don't think has any real problems except for kids shouldn't run away from home <laughs> I have no clue what this story is about, but it is apparently Josh's favorite book of all time. It is one of my favorite books. I don't have like a set favorite book, but it it is some a book that I read numerous times as a child and inspired me and my brother to go camping out in the woods and trying to do things on our own a little bit more than I think other kids might have done. But uh, the book is My Side of the Mountain. Yeah, I just binged what is Josh's favorite book of all time, and it says My Side of the Mountain. So even though you just said that on Bing, Bing according to Bing, it is your favorite book of all time. Well, I I really like this one, and it doesn't make me cry like where the red fern grows. So, <laughs> right, man. So come back next week for My Side of the Mountain by Gene Craighead George. Gene Craighead George. Gene Craighead George. 
What? What I said, and I said what I said. Well, what did you think it was written by? Uh, let me see here. I guess, yeah, Gene Craighead George. Amazing. You know what's really crazy? <laughs> what? Uh, you know what? We'll talk about this after. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, you think it was somebody else? I completely forgot when I started reading the author's preface that this was... Uh, all books written by women and for some reason read it as if it was a man that wrote the preface like it didn't even occur to me that it was a woman that wrote it again this is one of those scenarios where yeah because this is another book about a boy yeah it's wild three of the four books we've read have been a boy and and the the choose your own adventure we'll be doing really is androgynous as to who you are you are you you know hmm. interesting hey okay so yeah. Anyways, that's next week. Yep. Come back and hear <laughs> another story about a dude. Another story <laughs> about a dude written by a lady. Unreliterated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Reliterated is brought to you by the Chocolate Milk Friends. If you enjoyed this program, please share it with your friends. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addicts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or any podcatcher app that pulls from these sources. And we'd really appreciate your review and rating on whatever platform you use, especially if you like us. It helps us grow our audience. Uh, Again, next week we're tackling my side of the mountain, so if you want to read it ahead, uh, check it out from your local library. Uh, Buy it from thriftbooks.com. Just or if it's in your personal collection, pick it up and read it. We will be. (laughs) Yep, we're definitely going to read it. So until next time, give a shit, read some lit. Have a great whatever time of the day it is for you. Thanks, everybody.